Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, Book 9, Chapter 20. Throughout this chapter, we see interactions between Natasha and Pierre, culminating with Pierre's decision not to visit the Rostovs anymore. What is going on here? Yeah, what is going on there? Why does he not want to visit the Rostovs anymore? Sonia is tasked with reading the Emperor's proclamation because of her fine reading voice. What impact does the proclamation have on the family? Good questions there from last year's discussion. Ripster66 says, It seems to me that Natasha is becoming aware of Pierre's feelings for her. This is good for her morale, I'm sure, but Pierre knows he cannot act on his feelings as he is married and he won't do anything to put Natasha in a morally questionable situation. Is he still married? <laughs> I forget that he's still married. He, he just... He's never with his wife. There's... I think I thought they were like... Divorced or something. But I guess they just separated? Or something? Uh, he needs to protect her already precarious reputation. And he really is a decent guy. The family was certainly affected by the Emperor's proclamation, and having sweet Sonia read it aloud probably added emotional weight. Stirrings of patriotic love for the motherland kind of backfired on the Count, though, with Petra proclaiming his intentions to join the Hussars, who will sacrifice everything for Russia. Right, Dad, I'm off to join the war. Ah, uh, no, that's not what I meant. Yeah, is he... I think Petra's the youngest, is that right? pretty sure Petra was the young is the the baby see I think of Natasha is still a kid and so certainly her younger brother is just a, a you know a little whippersnapper and now he's saying no nah, I'm going off to the war so he must be what 17 or 18 or something but uh yeah that's got to be the last thing any mother and any father wants to hear is that their youngest is off to war uh says Pierre had grown so stout this year. You and me both, fam. <laughs> Rybred A says just living his best life. I've grown stout this year. Not just you, Acoustic Eels, and Pierre. Uh you know, we're all in it together. <laughs> it's been a stout year for everybody. I uh I think I'm at my all time highest weight I've ever been at the moment. It's not good. I'm trying to turn this ship around. Don't get me wrong, I'm trying. But uh, mid-30s, literally, I'm 35 and a half. Um, mid-30s is... Uh, what can I say? A difficult time to uh, turn the weight ship around. <laughs> it's not like in your 20s where you can just go, yeah, I'll just hit the gym for a couple of weeks and go on a diet and that'll work it just seems in my 30s everything I eat just is if I have meals you know meals if I have them I put on weight <laughs> not I'm not saying like extra meals or like you know three meals a day if I have meals if I have a meal today just one yeah I'm putting on weight that's how it feels sometimes at least um, although I did eat some pizza tonight and a cheeseburger, so hey, <laughs> maybe that's on me. I went out for my uh, my girlfriend's brother's 41st birthday tonight. We did some karaoke, we went bowling, it was a great time. Alright, 
enough about that. Let's read the next chapter. 21. After the definite refusal he had received, Petra went to his room and there locked himself in and wept bitterly. Oh, come on, mate. You want to join the army and then the first thing you do is <laughs> weep bitterly. Oh. That's a sure sign that you're not mature enough to be in the army, I think. Uh, wept bitterly. When he came in to tea, silent, morose, and with tear-stained face, everybody pretended not to notice anything. Next day, the emperor arrived in Moscow, and several of the Rostov's domestic serfs begged permission to go and have a look at him. That morning, Petra was a long time dressing and arranging his hair and collar to look like a grown-up man. He frowned before the looking-glass, gesticulated, shrugged his shoulders, and finally, without saying a word to anyone, took his cap and left the house by the back door, trying to avoid notice. Petya decided to go straight to where the Emperor was and explained frankly to some gentleman in waiting, he imagined the Emperor to be always surrounded by gentlemen in waiting, that he, Count Rostov, in spite of his youth, wished to serve his country, that youth could be no hindrance to loyalty, and that he was ready to... Dot, dot, dot. While dressing, Petya had prepared many fine things he meant to say to the gentleman in waiting. He was on the very first sorry, it was on the very fact of being so young that Petra counted for success in reaching the Emperor. He even thought how surprised everyone would be at his youthfulness, and yet in the arrangement of his collar and the hair, and by his sedate deliberate walk he wished to appear a grown up man. By the farther he went but the farther he went, and the more his attention was diverted by the ever increasing crowds moving toward the Kremlin, the less he remembered to walk with the sedateness and deliberation of a man. As he approached the Kremlin, he even began to avoid being crushed and resolutely stuck out his elbows in a menacing way. But, within the Trinity Gateway, he was so pressed to the wall by people who probably were unaware of his patriotic intentions with which he had come, that in spite of all his determination, he had to give in and stop while carriages passed in, rumbling beneath the archway. Beside Petra stood a peasant woman, a footman, two tradesmen, and a discharged soldier. After standing some time in the gateway, Petra tried to move forward to in front of the others without waiting for all the carriages to pass, and he began resolutely working his way with his elbows, but the woman just in front of him, who was the first against whom he directed his efforts, angrily shouted at him, What are you shoving for, young lordling? Don't you see we're all standing still? Why push? Anybody can shove, said the footman, and also began working his elbows to such effect that he pushed Petra into a very filthy corner of the gateway. Petra wiped his perspiring face with his hands and pulled up the damp collar which he had arranged so well at home to seem like a man's. He felt that he no longer looked presentable and feared that if he were now to approach the gentleman in waiting in that plight he would not be admitted to the emperor, but it was impossible to smarten oneself up or move to another place because of the crowd. One of the generals who drove past was an acquaintance of the Rostovs, and Petya thought of asking his help, but came to the conclusion that it, that would not be a manly thing to do. When the carriages had all passed in, the crowd, carrying Petya with it, streamed forward into the Kremlin Square, which was already full of people. There were people not only in the square, but everywhere, on the slopes and on the roofs. As soon as Petya found himself in the square, he clearly heard the sound of bells, and joyous voices of the crowd that filled the whole Kremlin. For a while, the crowd was less dense, but suddenly all heads were bared, and everyone rushed forward in one direction. Petya was being pressed so that he could scarcely breathe, and everybody shouted, Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah! 
Betcha stood on tiptoe and pushed and pinched, but could not see anything except the people around him. All the faces bore the same expression of excitement and enthusiasm. A tradesman's wife standing beside Petcha sobbed, and the tears ran down her cheeks. Father, angel, dear one, she kept repeating, wiping her, e her tears with her fingers. Hurrah was heard on all sides. For a moment the crowd stood still, but then it made another rush forward. Quite beside himself, Petcha, clinching his teeth and rolling his eyes furiously, pushed forward, elbowing his way and shouting hurrah as if there he were prepared that instant to kill himself and anyone else. But on both sides of him, other people with similarly ferocious faces pushed forward and everybody shouted, Hurrah. So this is what the emperor is, thought Petcha. No, I can't petition him myself, that would be too bold. But in spite of this, he continued to struggle desperately forward, and from between the backs of those in front of it, he caught glimpses of an open space with a strip of red cloth spread out on it. But just then, the crowd swayed back. The police in front were pushing back, those who pressed too close to the procession. The emperor was passing from the palace to the cathedral of the Assumption, and Petcha unexpectedly received such a blow on his side and ribs, and was squeezed so hard that suddenly everything grew dim before his eyes and he lost consciousness. When he came to himself, a man of clerical appearance with a tuft of grey hair at the back of his head, and wearing a shabby blue cassock, probably a church clerk, and Chanter, was holding him under the arm with one hand while warding off the pressure of the crowd with the other. "'You've crushed the young gentleman,' said the clerk. "'What are you up to, gently? "'They've crushed him, crushed him.' "'The Emperor even... "'Sorry, the Emperor entered the Cathedral of the Assumption. "'The crowd spread out again and more evenly, "'and the clerk led Petcha, pale and breathless, to the Tsar Cannon. "'Several people were sorry for Petcha, "'and suddenly a crowd turned toward him and pressed around him. Those who stood nearest him attended to him, unbuttoned his coat, seated him on the raised platform of the cannon, and reproached those others, whoever they might be, who had crushed him. One might easily get killed that way. What do you mean by it? Killing people? Poor dear, he's as white as a sheet. Various voices were heard, saying. Petcha soon came to himself, the colour returned to his face, and the pain had passed, and at the cost of that temporary unpleasantness, he had obtained a place by the cannon from where he hoped to see the emperor who would be returning that way. Petcha no longer thought of presenting his petition. If he could only see the emperor, he would be happy. While the service was proceeding in the Cathedral of the Assumption, it was combined service of prayer on the occasion of the emperor's arrival and the thanksgiving for the conclusion of peace with the Turks. The crowd outside spread out and hawkers appeared, selling kvass, gingerbread and poppy seed sweets, of which Petra was particularly fond, and ordinary conversation could be heard. A tradesman's wife was showing a rent in her shawl and telling how much the shawl had cost. Another was saying that all silk goods had now got dear. The clerk who had rescued Petra was talking to a functionary about the priests who were officiating that day with the bishop. The clerk several times used the word plenary of the services, a word Petra did not understand. Two young citizens were joking with some surf girls who were cracking nuts. All these conversations, especially the joking with the girls, were such as might had a, have had a particular charm for Petra at his age, but they did not interest him now. He sat on his elevation, the pedestal of the cannon, still agitated as before by, by the thought of the emperor and by his love for him. The feeling of pain and fear he had experienced when he was being crushed, together with that of rapture, 
still further intensified his sense of the importance of the occasion. Suddenly the sound of a firing cannon was heard from the embankment to celebrate the signing of peace with the Turks, and the crowd rushed impetuously forward toward the bank embankment to watch the firing. Petra, too, would have run there, but the clerk who had taken the young gentleman under his protection stopped him. The firing was still proceeding when officers, generals, and gentlemen in waiting came running out of the cathedral, and after them, others in a more leisurely manner. Caps were again raised, and those who had run to look at the cannon ran back again. At last, four men in uniforms and sashes emerged from the cathedral doors. Hurrah, hurrah, shouted the crowd again. Which is he which? asked Petra in a tearful voice of those around him, but no one answered him. Everybody was too excited, and Petra, fixing on one of those four men, whom he could not clearly see for the tears of joy that filled his eyes, concentrated all his enthusiasm on him. Though it happened not to be the emperor, frantically shouted hurrah and resolved that tomorrow, come what might, he would join the army. The crowd ran after the emperor, followed him to the palace, and began to disperse. It was already late, and Petra had not eaten anything and was drenched with perspiration, yet he did not go home, but stood with that diminishing but still considerable crowd before the palace, while the emperor dined, looking in at the palace windows, expecting he knew not what, and envying alike the notables he saw arriving at the entrance to dine with the emperor and the court footmen who served at table, glimpses of whom could be seen throughout the windows. While the emperor was dining, Valouve, looking out of the window, said, The people are still hoping to see your majesty again. The dinner was nearly over, and the emperor, munching a biscuit, rose and went out onto the balcony. The people with Petra among them rushed toward the balcony. Angel, dear one, hurrah, father, cried the crowd. And Petra with it, and again the women and men of weaker mould, Petra among them, wept with joy. A large piece of the biscuit the emperor was holding in his hand broke off, fell on the balcony parapet, and then to the ground. A coachman in a jerkin, who stood nearest, sprang forward and snatched it up. Several people in the crowd rushed at the coachman. Seeing this, the emperor had a plate full of biscuits brought him and began throwing them down to, from the balcony. Petra's eyes grew bloodshot and still more excited by the danger of being crushed. He rushed at the biscuits. He did not know why, but he had to have a biscuit from the Tsar's hand, and he felt that he must not give away. He sprang forward and, um and upset an old woman who was catching at a biscuit. The old woman did not consider herself defeated, though she was lying on the ground. She grabbed at some biscuits, but her hand did not reach them. Petra pushed her hand away with his knee, seized a biscuit, and as if fearing to be too late, again shouted hurrah with a voice already hoarse. The emperor went in, and after that the greater part of the crowd began to disperse. There, I said if only we waited, and so it was, was being joyfully said by various people. Happy as Petra was, he felt sad at having to go home knowing that all the enjoyment of the day was over. He did not go straight home from the Kremlin, but called on his friend Oblensky, who was 15 and also entering the regiment. On returning home, Petra announced resolutely and firmly that if he was not allowed to enter the service, he would run away. And next day, Count Ilya Rostov, though he had not yet quite yielded, went to inquire how he could arrange for Petra to serve where there would be least danger. Alright, there we go. Another chapter down. Petra, he's uh, taken after his older brother, just enraptured by 
the the emperor. All right, guys, have a stay on the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.